When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Homer and Applesauce's Miley Podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I'll be joined this week by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin. How are you guys doing this week? Doing okay. I'm mildly annoyed. Um, what else is new? Yeah, I was about to say, what now? Finally found some people to play softball with. Shout out Thomas Sankara on Twitter, who I believe is a listener of the pod. Um, got signed up. All good. Uh, thunderstorms all day today. Games postponed. Yeah, that's uh, that's been a trend this week. Yep. I mean, the weather this week was just fucking heinous. Climate's fine, though. Don't worry about it. <laughs> totally normal. I love extreme weather events, don't you? Mm-hmm. I I just love increasingly destructive positive feedback loops that may or may not result in the destruction of the human race. You know, it's well, a great... uh, both of you guys are very lucky because uh, they're going to be happening more and more frequently. Oh yes. yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> great. I'm I'm fucking pumped. Great job, guys. We did it. Awesome. Don't worry though. Taylor Swift is concerned about the environment. Well, I mean, if she puts her mind to it, she can do anything. So she, she I was going to say her, her fans will fix it within like six months. <laughs> the, the irony being that her private jet use outstrips the carbon emissions of all her fans combined. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Shh. Don't don't say that part out loud. Uh-huh. You're going to get us canceled. Uh-huh. All right. So. Not too much really happened this week in the world of uh, Mets minor league baseball, so we're not going to have too much to talk about this week. We're just going to talk about the the Mets minor league affiliates, how they did, you know, just focus on the teams a little bit extra this week. So first up, the Syracuse Mets, and they played the Rochester Red Wings, and surprisingly, they won the series. I can honestly, I don't even remember the last time Syracuse won a series. Um, one of the games was canceled midweek because of the rain, but even if Syracuse did lose that one, if they did magically play, um, you know, worst it would have been, would have been a split and they wouldn't have actually lost the series. So the two, three week, it boosted Syracuse's record a little bit. It brought them to 22 and 38 on the season, uh, 16 games behind first place. Um, but ahead of the last place, Charleston Knights by nine games. Uh, they are playing the Worcester Red Sox this upcoming week. Worcester's in the middle of the pack, so nothing really going on with Syracuse, you know, in terms of, like, being a spoiler or anything like that. 
Um, so anything in particular you guys are keeping an eye out with Syracuse over the next, you know, week or two? They only have two weeks left of the season. There is just next to no prospect capital remaining on this yeah. roster. Um, I like Brandon McElwain a little bit. He is fun. He is interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I know, I know the answer. Uh, Luke Ritter's still hurt, right? He hasn't come back, as far as yeah, I know. I, I believe he's done for the season when he got hurt. Like, which less. fucking blows. Um, I do not think Carlos Cortez is a big leaguer. I would like them to give Carlos Cortez a week in the big leagues just so he can get his get his a uh, uh, chance to say he's a big leaguer. Um, that's a nice thing you can do. For a guy you drafted twice. <laughs> I do. It's just the truth. Other than that, I don't really care about anything on this roster. I mean, hell, give Eric Orzi a couple outings, too. Who gives a shit? Like, you're trying to lose. Oh, yeah, give Eric Orzi some shit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, outside of McElwain, like you said, he's, like, really the only position player that's prospecty, and you still have to kind of squint a little bit to see that. Um, you know, pitching wise, you know, there's like Mike Vassell, Eric Orzi, Nate Lavender, you know, guys we've all mentioned before that maybe the Mets give him an audition, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's not enough time left for a real audition is the problem, right? Like, and I'm not at this point of the season, I'm not worried about figuring out if Mike Vassell or Nate Lavender is viable next season because there's not going to be enough data to move the needle one way or the other. Yeah, that is true. It's September 10th already, September right. 11th. So just prioritize giving some guys who are never going to get a real shot, given that experience. This is just a nice thing you can do and uh, play out the string. That's what we're doing yeah. at this point. And the stupid Mets keep winning too much. Yeah, I mean, playing Carlos Cortez and, and Eric Orsi probably helps him lose some games. Let's be real. Uh, again, sh- you can't say that part out loud. Is, is Rafael Ortega still on the Major League roster? Like, wh- why? I mean, in, in terms of, you know, stuff like that, though, like you mentioned, look at how DJ Stewart has basically played himself into a contract for next year, either with the Mets or with somebody else. They have control over him for next year. I do not believe so. Yes, I do. I, he's pre-arb. I don't. Yeah, but he's been a minor league free agent for like a year or two. They signed. But he's him on the forty-man pre- roster. I don't know. I do not believe that they have control over him, but I may be wrong, and you may be right. Either way, though, the point is, look at how you know he's been given. How long has it been up for? About a month, three weeks, six six weeks. Yeah. All right. So about a month to a month and a half. And he's definitely, you know, secured himself a spot for next year. And, you know, you can do favors. You know, it may when you do stuff like that, we've mentioned before, it makes your team kind of more attractive to lower string free agents and minor league free agents who are kind of on the fence where to sign. If they see that your organization is... You know, good in a regard like that. You'll give guys shots when 
you know the the situation is is right you know that that is something that could uh change the mind of one of the many guys out there so yeah that is Syracuse in a nutshell um Binghamton this week the Rumble Ponies played the Hartford Yard Goats. Um, that series also got all screwy because of the rain. And then on top of that, they were also making up a game from July. So all in all, they were supposed to play uh, seven games, but they only played five. And Rumble Ponies went three and two, with two of those games getting canceled because of the rain. Um, most noteworthy thing about the series was on Thursday, Yolanda Suarez threw a no-hitter. Um it was a seven-inning no-hitter because it was the first game of the doubleheader, but it, it's a no-hitter nonetheless. Uh, it was the eighth no-hitter in Binghamton franchise history. It was the first no-hitter since June 22nd, 2021, when Josh Walker and Andrew Mitchell combined to throw a no-hitter. And it's the first no-hitter that a Binghamton pitcher pitched on his own since Miguel Pinago in 2006. They've had a, a few combined no-hitters, but it's been basically 15 years since one guy went all the way. So with their week, um, their 3-2 and two week, Binghamton is now a half game behind the Somerset Patriots at first with a week to go. They clinched a playoff berth, so they're going to be finishing out the season uh, playing the Reading Fighting Phils. No pressure. Um, and then they're going to be playing the Somerset Patriots in the Eastern League Division Series in um, like two weeks. So how are you guys feeling about the general state of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies? I, I definitely feel like it's a team that could go – they could go all the way. Yeah. Um, if I had a car – and also wasn't consistently working like 75 to 80 hours a week, I would be going to some Binghamton games down the stretch here. Um, it is definitely a fun team. And it got more fun. I don't know if we want to talk about this now or when we get to Brooklyn, but it's yeah. about to get more fun for the next couple it. weeks. Talk about it now because it's relevant to the Binghamton playoff mm -hmm. um, series that's upcoming. Somebody is a newly christened Rumble Pony. Uh, Jet Williams is good. He is. Re remember, I, I'm, I'm victory. I'm gonna victory lap this one. Remember how I came into this say season saying like, yeah, if Jet has this reputation for hitting the ball hard and having an advanced approach and good bat to ball, et cetera, et cetera, and if he does all these things, he's gonna rocket up prospect lists. Well, <laughs> um. He's done all those things, and he's about to rocket up prospect lists. Mm -hmm. He is having um, an incredible season. His OPS is like, what, 1,050 uh, for Brooklyn? Yeah, let's see. He hit another yes. homer last night. Jet Williams with Brooklyn. Well, I guess we could say, you know, this is conclusively now because he will no longer be playing games with Brooklyn. He hit 307, 452, 581, an OPS, an OPS of 1033. <laughs> he had nine doubles. He had two triples, seven home runs. He stole 11 bases in 12 attempts, and he had an even 31 walks to 31 strikeouts. 
As a 19-year-old. As a 19-year-old in 35 games in high A. Playing shortstop and center field. Where he was three years younger than the average. So that works. (laughs) Now, let's caveat this. This is not a huge sample size. He is not this good a power hitter. The raw exit velocities are still not... They're not bad. They're not elite. And with that frame, it's like tough to say definitively that this guy's going to add more raw power as time goes on because he's five foot six, maybe. Um, hey, there's nothing wrong with being five foot six. Nothing but. wrong with being five foot six <laughs> when you have an elite approach and a perfectly optimized launch angle, which he basically has. Yeah, I mean, he he wasn't bad. When in, in you know St. Lucie, but mm-hmm. you know the the average is a little low. The slugging, you know, the power was not really there. He was drawing his walks and he was you know stealing a, a ton of bases. So like, and then again, also he's a 19 year old. So it's like nothing that you really could have complained about. But you know, you would have wanted to see a little bit better. And he has just cleared that bar and then then some since getting promoted and. Uh, one hell of a season. I think I, I was talking. I won't give the number away because I don't think I was supposed to give the number away. But uh, I was talking about my early iteration of the Mets list with Jarrett, um, who was also doing the Mets list for BP this year, and comparing our notes. And obviously, I am mostly using him to tell me I'm wrong because he knows more than me. Um. He was even higher on Jet and uh, – let me put it this way. Uh, Jet and Gilbert will be ranked highly, very, very highly. Yeah, I mean at, at this point, I, I might say that Jet is the number one prospect in the system. Give like, me Gilbert still, but I see your, I can see the argument. You could sustain the argument. Right. I mean it was I, – I think we all agreed like a month or two ago whenever like all those trades went – down that Gilbert and Acuna were like okay one and two one A one B whatever order you wanted to do it and mm. Jet was pretty much the consensus three mm. now it's almost one A one A one A one B one C you know it's it's a lot closer I have I've actually pushed Acuna down a little bit for me I don't know where you're at on him Ken um um probably about the same I've never been huge on Acuna so he's actually he's- a good prospect, not a yes. No, don't get, don't get me wrong. Yes. Um, also, he hit two home runs on that night when Scherzer was getting his tits lit by the Rangers. <laughs> oh, Max Scherzer shitting the bed in a late season divisional matchup. Hmm. Never seen that one before. Uh, Let's not throw shade here. We yes, appreciate yes. everything that Max Scherzer did. Yeah, yeah, being petty's fun though. Uh, Gilbert also had a two home run day this week, if I recall correctly. So like, the dude was clearly been playing through and injuries all season and is healthy now and uh, looks real good. So, good job, Mets. Yeah, it's it's been a while since. I mean, I'm not gonna say that any of these guys are slam dunk prospects because you know. The act, an actual slam dunk prospect is they're very far and few found in between. But it's been a while since you could say, okay, the Mets' top 
hitting the Mets' top prospects are a bunch of really good hitters. Uh, Has that happened in the course of our fandom ever? I was about to say maybe you can go to like 2018 or 2019 when like number one was Alonzo, number two was Jimenez. Even then, like, I mean, that's not, you know, nothing against Andres Jimenez, but he was never the type of caliber of prospect viewed as the type of prospect that, you know, Gilbert Acuna and Jed Williams are viewed as right now. Even Ryan, I think even Ryan Clifford was viewed as is a, viewed as a better prospect than Pete or Jimenez ever were like Pete and Pete had and, a weird prospect. Life yeah, of course, because like people were just like, yeah, this guy isn't going to hit even though he actually hit. Basically, at every stop in the minor leagues, like, just was dominant, and people didn't kind of really want to accept it. People thought way too hard about Peter Alonso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was just a slow, slow to recognize the swing change that had happened, and that it was this this offense was sustainable because it was, the question was always like, is this going to translate? And obviously, it did. <laughs> it certainly has. But even like those guys peaked. I don't have the rankings in front of me, but what in like the seventies or right, right. As at like a national level, like a top hundred level, you know, even because he was, you know, a right-handed first baseman who was pretty crappy as a defender, you know, that's a chonky boy. Yeah. It was, that certainly had an impact on, you know, national rankings and stuff like that. But yeah, in terms of like national rankings, the Mets have a quite a few guys that are going to be in the top Half. Williams, Clifford, excuse me, Williams, Gilbert, Acuna have all either previously been in top 50 discussions or in Jets case are clearly going to be moving into that echelon. I think there are some people who would argue that Clifford belongs in that discussion to a degree as well. And fewer people, but still some who would argue the same for Vargas. Which is just fucking wild. <laughs> well, I will not be the one arguing for Vargas. Sure, that I mean, bad, that's, that's but, a little aggressive for me. But my point yeah. is, like, there is an argument that Marco Vargas is is already regarded as a better prospect than Pete Alonso or Andres Jimenez ever were. Whether that was the correct evaluation of the time, yeah. who knows? But, like, that's where we're at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I honestly can't remember. I mean... Maybe you would have to go to like 2012, 13, 14, that period when the Mets had, you know, the Darno's and the Syndergaards and the Matzes and the Pueos and the Wheelers and the Wilmers. What did they trade for Wheeler? I'm bad at this sort of thing. Um, nobody. He was a free agent. We, no, no, they traded. What, when did they trade for Wheeler? Oh, when, did the, oh, when was oh, the Beltron trade? Uh, 2010, 2011. Can't help. <laughs> uh, I want to say 2011. Let's see. It was one of those Google two years. Well, so. I, I do remember that the other name, they were like, it was Zach Brown, the outfielder, was the other name who was supposedly in discussions, and he never went anywhere. Uh, Dominic Brown. No, 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 no. Zach Brown. Zach Brown. Who's Dominic Brown was the Phillies. Really. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 2011, boom. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nice. Nice job, Ken. 
Anyway, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the last time the Mets had a really high-end farm system, and it was all arms. Right, exactly. Like, I don't, I cannot recall ever, I don't think, the Mets being so strong in terms of bats. I mean, maybe in the right and Reyes era, but public-facing prospect evaluation was so entirely different at that point. It's almost not comparable, right? Yeah, like, I mean, just... you really, you, you have... Baseball America lists and that, I think, is it. Yep, basically. <laughs> and nothing against Baseball America, but, you know. I mean, even their, even their process, I'm sure they would tell you this, like their process now is entirely different and mm-hmm. much more robust than it was in 2006, like, or 2004, I guess, because Reyes came up in 2004, right? I believe 2003, but then he hurt Three. himself. Oh, right, because he was playing second base for Cass. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. That's right. Yeah, it's so, good. Yes, it is It it is a, a fun team. It's a fun time to be a Binghamton Rumble Pony fan. So we need to fun. nag Chris to, like, go as often as he can and just take <laughs> all the pictures. We will donate, you know, we will donate vacation days to you, whatever it takes. Just you, you just live at that stadium. <laughs> Not allowed to leave. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll get we'll get to the Brooklyn Cyclones in a second. Um, there's a bit more to talk about with them, but St. Lucie, we'll skip to them. They play the Daytona Tortugas in their final season, their final series of the season, and surprisingly, they won. They went three and two, and had one game canceled because of rain. Um. So St. Lucie's season is over. They end the 2023 season with a 20 and 43 record in the second half, a 24 and 41 record in the first half, and a 44 and 84 record overall. Mm-hmm. They ended the uh, first half dead last. They ended the second half dead last, and they have the worst record in not just the Florida State League. But in all three single A leagues overall. <laughs> so before we move on to Brooklyn, um, you know, anything or anybody stand out to you guys in terms of the St. Lucie season? You know, like good overperformance or just bad underperformance, I guess. They had a lot of good talent come through. I mean, Jet, Reimer, uh, I mean, a lot of the DSL guys have played here. Vargas, Hernandez have all made it here, and it's just never come together, I guess. It, it is strange. I I completely am with you. There have been, on paper, a lot of names that will, you know, you'll, you'll see the name, like, okay, prospect, prospect, prospect. Not a prospect, but a guy to keep an eye on, good guy, whatever. And just nothing has really stood out. You know, mm-hmm. nothing. It just hasn't clicked. Is St. Lucie like a I, – I believe this league is generally not great offensively, which might explain some things. A lot of the p- prospects we're talking about, almost exclusively the prospects we're talking about, are hitters. I mean, the Mets still – it's 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 they're pretty pitching poor top to bottom, frankly, which <laughs> – is an okay spot to be in, I think, because, I mean, the the best orgs, as we've seen, 
figure out how to grow pitchers more easily than hitters. So whatever, I'm, I think they'll fix that before too long. But maybe just due to the league environment and the particular uh, contours of their farm system, they were just prone to underperform in this specific league. I don't know. It's possible. I know, you know, in the past anyway, St. Lucie like skewed slightly towards favoring pitchers, not by like a Brooklyn level, but mm-hmm. you know, just just a little bit. But in this day and age, you know, post minor league realignment in 2020 and who knows what the hell <laughs> Major League Baseball is doing with, you know, uh, random experiments that they're not telling people about. Who knows what the actual, you know, um park factors and league factors and stuff like that are now yeah i vaguely remember this coming up on a baseball america podcast about the the fs uh, or, or uh, yeah the florida state league the fsl being down offensively for mm. reasons so i don't know maybe i might just be misremembering but you know it's true and also another thing with i think that something that we don't really talk about too much or it doesn't get brought up or or it's hard to analyze whatever because there's just not many thing data points that you could like really effectively objectively study is just the contraction of minor league baseball and eliminating all mm-hmm. those rookie leagues. It's fair. You know what you 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 have your 17, 18 year old guys from the DSL or the complex coming up. You'll have your guys that were in the complex last year now coming up. You have guys repeating the level in St. Lucie at, at at the uh, single A ball, you have your random, you know, five year super seniors that got drafted playing and they're twenty three. Like it's just a, a mishmash of talent levels mm-hmm. now. Whereas in the past at least there was a little bit more with the rookie leagues. That's a good point. The only takeaway that I find at all concerning here, um, the the recent crop of DSL guys who have some of whom who have moved to this level have not been particularly impressive. Um, whether that's a concern or just the nature of these prospects being lottery tickets, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's um, something to keep an eye on. You know, next year especially. All right, and. The Brooklyn Cyclones now. Uh, they played the Wilmington Blue Rocks. They came into the week uh, virtually tied with the Jersey Show Blue Claws. Uh, Cyclones won on Tuesday. They won on Wednesday. They lost Thursday. And they won on Saturday. The Blue Claws lost Tuesday. They won Wednesday. They won Thursday. And then they split doubleheader on Saturday because um, their Friday game was postponed. So literally coming into the final game of the season on Sunday, Brooklyn had a one-game lead over the Blue Claws. Obviously, if they won the game that they were playing, they're in the playoffs. If they lost, but the Blue Claws also lost, they're in. If they lost and the Blue Claws won, then the two teams would be tied in the standings. And unfortunately, the Blue Claws would advance because the the head-to-head record that the two teams have, the Blue Claws have the advantage. So on Sunday's game, uh, Brooklyn and Wilmington, they traded zeros early on. In the fourth inning, finally, the Blue Rocks scored a run. Um, Matt Suggs hit an RBI double off of Jordani Ventura. Great name. It yeah. is. <laughs> All of them. Suggs is a good last name. Ventura, Jordani, of course. Ventura, a total aside, Ventura put together those two incredible starts 
because he was bad. He was bad in St. Lucie. He couldn't throw a strike. He comes up to Brooklyn and puts two of like the best starts you'll see at the level together, and then just immediately went back to not throwing strikes. Yeah, he's had a very weird season. I I want to believe that there's still something <laughs> here. I really do. I know. <laughs> The stuff is good, I think. I just, uh, I don't know. I don't. Know. Anyway, continue, please. Yeah. So, um, the Blue Rocks, their lead, it wouldn't, you know, they they wouldn't keep the lead for very long. Drake Osborne tied the game on the bottom of the fourth, and then in the sixth inning, Stanley Consuegra hit a solo home run to put Brooklyn up two to one, and that home run was also um, a Brooklyn season record. Uh, 23 in a single season, and it also made him the Brooklyn career record holder with home runs. Really? Yeah, because he's had basically two full seasons at Brooklyn now. Hmm. And also, they were pre they were you know pre 2011 they were short seasons, so uh, a, lot of, a lot of records are for grabs now. Fair, right? Um, so Brooklyn had the lead until the eighth inning, and then Dylan Hall. Allowed the tying and leading runs to score thanks to Johanji Morales tripling. So thanks a lot, Ken. This is your fault. You're welcome. <laughs> and then uh, Jeffrey Colon, he allowed another two runs. So going to the ninth inning, it was 6-2. Uh, DeAndre Williams, uh, excuse me, DeAndre Smith, he, he singled. And Jet Williams came to the plate. Two outs. But obviously you can't hit a... Uh, five-run home run with one guy on base. And it doesn't matter because Jets struck out anyway, and that was the end of that. So Brooklyn lost. But maybe they could still back into the playoffs. And the Blue Claws, they were playing the Hudson Valley Renegades. It was a hard... It, it, they fought tooth and nail, basically, the two teams. The Blue Claws had a 7-4 lead going into the top of the sixth. Um, but then in the bottom of the inning, the Renegades scored two runs to make it seven to six. Then they scored another two runs in the seventh to make it eight to seven. Then they had another run in the eighth to make it nine to seven. So in the ninth inning, two men on, Jersey Shore is down to the final out. And the Jersey Shore batter hit a routine ground ball. Maybe it wasn't it wasn't routine. It was it was it was hit pretty hard. But the Renegades third baseman, he bobbled it, then he made a throwing error. And the Blue Claws got tied the game. In the bottom of the inning, the Blue Claws, uh, uh, the the Renegades possibly could walk it off here. In the bottom of the inning, the umpire blew a call on a strike him out, throw him out, double play. The runner didn't actually even get tagged. The the second baseman swiped, but he didn't actually touch the runner. And the blown call would have pretty major implications because then the next very uh, the very next Renegade batter hit a single. And that should have been a wall off for the Renegades. And instead, he ended up getting stranded. So, extra innings. Neither team scored in the 10th. Now, here is some bullshit, man. Were you guys watching this game by any chance? I was not. No. Mm, I was listening to it while I was driving. In the 11th inning, the Blue Cross took a one-run lead. Okay, you know, it happens. The pitcher was renegade catcher Juan Crisp. The renegades manager, he didn't want to burden the bullpen because they already are locked for the playoffs. They didn't want to throw extra bullpen guys out there. So they had their catcher pitch. 
the catcher gave up a run, as you would expect catchers pitching to do. And that that was the end of the game. Hudson Valley went down 1-2-3 in the bottom of the inning, and just like that now, the season is over for the Cyclones, and the Blue Claws are advancing. All right, I'd be more angry if that happened in the ninth inning. And the extra in extras where you have the free runner score a fucking run. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's just... It just sucks because Brooklyn was so good. Like they were like un- until Binghamton kind of got hot in the second half of the second half. You know, Brooklyn was basically like all we had. They started the second half out really hot. They sustained it, and it they didn't even get bad. It just Jersey Shore got really good. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to tip your cap to them because you know the Cyclones didn't screw themselves. They kept winning too. Um, but yeah, the Cyclones they end the second half now, 38 and 28, tie, obviously tied with the Blue Claws, but they're not advancing. Uh, they were 28 and 37 in the first half, and overall in the season they are 66 and 65. So they made it over 500, which is meaningless, but you know, nice to see. Yay! yay. So, yeah, um, obviously, you know, Jets had a one hell of a season with Brooklyn. Jacob Raymer, you know, he kind of got hurt, so gets lost in the shuffle. Um, Alex Ramirez is L-cooked. Yeah, I mean, he's he's young enough that you can still try to say, you know, you can still say, give him the benefit of the doubt, but this is his... Second year in Brooklyn where he has not really performed particularly great. I don't – I mean, I guess they have to push him up to double A next year, but they don't. But I don't – you know, I don't know. But, yes, I, I – I asked the same question I did at the start of the year. What does he do better than Stanley Consuegra? He's a better outfielder. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> but other, sure. but yeah, in terms of offense, you know, he's he he's he can steal more bases, you know. But if you're not getting on base, then that doesn't really matter. Uh, and look, I I don't know if Stanley Kutzerga is going to be able to make contact with a double A breaking ball, but like the dude hits and hits for power, at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, uh, when you're basically they're kind of this in the same situation. Neither one of them are making sufficient contact, and you know neither guy draws walks at a crazy high amount. So you're basically just comparing one has a little bit more speed, and the other one has some more power. And I mean, one of them has an tool. OPS that's 200 points higher. Yeah, power tool is much more uh, impactful with the bat than having a little extra speed. Yeah, I think uh, – I hope this doesn't become another Mauricio situation where I have to in- incur the ire of people on Twitter constantly, but I don't think I have Ramirez in my top 15 at this point. He might not be in my yeah. top 20. I mean, he's certainly not in the top 10. No. I no, think sir. you could you could make a very good case that he's not in the top 15 either. I think 15 to 20, it starts, okay, maybe 20 to 25, I think 
is reasonable. Anything under twenty five, I would say, maybe it's a little too uh, oh, yeah, a little too that. much I'm of a hot take. Though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, fun team, fun season, and unfortunately, <laughs> it it ended stupid. It ended not fun. Nah. Not what we want to see. I told myself, I really told myself I'd get out to some games, and I uh, I didn't. I know, every year. <laughs> we always say, oh, we need to all go to a game. No, we never do. No. I mean, we didn't talk about this with Double A, because um, he's there now, but Kevin Parada kind of disappointed across both these levels, which is mildly concerning. Yeah, um, I mean, Prada kind of sucked for the first month, and then he was solid to pretty good for the next two or whatever it was, which is, I I mean, I don't mean to hold this against him, but he should, you know, like for the the pedigree that he has, for the Mm -hmm. advanced age, all that kind of stuff, like, yes, he should be doing really good, you know, so kind of hold it against him, and, you know, you can't credit him as much for doing good i guess Mm -hmm. and then he got hurt and missed like a month or so and in binghamton he's like three weeks or whatever and he's not really done much nope yeah he's another guy that's gonna be falling i mean i think we all agreed for the most part when we were doing our our uh Mid-season, mid-season list that was immediately yeah. made relevant by the Mets acquiring four <laughs> new top prospects, five yep. new top prospects, no six yep. at this point. I think they legitimately acquired five guys that are going to be in their top ten, and another one that'll be in the top fifteen. Which yeah, is I mean, insane. The amount of the, yeah, the amount of of depth, not depth in terms of like major league depth or anything like that, but in terms of like stretching out the top prospect list is is crazy. I mean, uh, you know, let's say that I mean, you could you could make an argument that Parada did fine. Like he didn't do bad. He didn't do great. He just kind of treaded water, whatever. And he's still going to be dropping pretty hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he was a catcher, we'd be like, this was not a great season, but OK. And uh, none of us still think he's a catcher. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be fun. I mean, it was kind of fun making our lists, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be even more fun making our lists after, you know, the uh, instructional league and the uh, Arizona Fall League and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's good. It's a good, you know. It's much more fun to have to start, you know, crunching the numbers and making comparisons and everything like that when you have a strong top 15 as opposed to last year when you're starting to squint after like six. So, yeah, (laughs) much, much rather be in this situation. All right. So, yeah, that was uh, that was the Mets minor league system for the week. And, you know, obviously Binghamton has one more week to go and then the playoffs and Syracuse has two more weeks to go and then not the playoffs. And then, unfortunately, the season is going to be over. 
As you can tell, listeners, we are in the content doldrums of the season at this point. <laughs> wait till uh, wait till November. We yeah. always figure it out, though. We always figure mm-hmm. it out. At least there's off-season stuff to talk about then. Yep, that is true. And maybe this year the Mets will be buyers, sellers, who knows. Hopefully we'll be adding you know, a new top pitching prospect from Japan, maybe even two, who knows. It'll be fun. Yep. All right, so if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at KenLevin91. And Thomas is at said Met Season as ZN. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review. And, of course, we thank you for listening. And we are Patreon-based, so if you do like our podcast or any of the other ones that are in the Homer and Apple Network, you can subscribe for just $5 a month. So we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.